0: Street.
1: only one that stands out from the crowd. You Waking know you know. up. up, Henley, Henley. Reading. Okay. The voice River Radio of the Thames Valley. Paperback right.
2: Good morning, it's Heather and Julian on Tanning Pages. We've got some great books to share with you this morning.
1: Based on a novel
3: by a man
2: Lear and I've been talking to novelist Ellie Pilcher about her debut novel. And we'll be chatting
1: about cookery books.
2: Thank you for joining me today. We've got a great show coming up. So alongside me, I've got Julian. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Heather. And what a glorious morning it's turned out to be. It is
2: indeed.
0: Well, um, so what what have we got coming up this morning, Heather?
2: Well, I have been chatting with Ellie Pilcher, whose first book, What Planet Can I Blame This On?, has just been published by Hodder Studio to great Mm. acclaim. Mm -hmm. It's a laugh-out loud look at the disasters that have befallen her heroine, 29-year-old Crystal. The stars are obviously not in position and Crystal is determined to make them fall in line and is in bookshops now. Great. We've also been looking at the publishing of cookery books and choosing a few of our favourites. And we'll be develop, delving into our bookshelves to choose a favourite book to recommend in our off-the-shelf feature. Mm-hmm. And I've also actually been talking to Chantal from the Little Bookshop in Cookham. Oh, right. And yes, she's good. also been recommending some cookery books. So there's loads of things that we've got to fit in there uh, this morning. So you're listening to Turning Pages on River Radio, the voice of the Thames Valley. And don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any favourite authors you want to tell us about, any great book recommendations, recommendations, recommendations if you run a local book club or are a local author we'd love you to get in touch you can contact me on heather at river.radio with any of your book news and we'd be delighted to include some of your thoughts and ideas in future shows so, Julian, let's start with those interesting tidbits that we've spotted in the press about books.
0: Well, indeed. Well, we bid a fond farewell to Eric Carle, who sadly died at the end of May.
2: Oh, yes.
0: Yeah, and he'll be remembered for his uh, book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which was first published in 1969, and since then has sold more than 50 million copies in 62 languages. And it's purchased somewhere in the world every 15 seconds
2: Wow, that is an
0: amazing statistic. It it, it is, and if I can remember rightly, the hungry caterpillar over the course of a week uh, manages to munch his way through an apple, two pears three plums, four strawberries five oranges one piece of chocolate cake, an ice cream cone, Swiss cheese salami and a lollipop and lots, lots more, and no wonder I would think if he got tummy ache
2: (laughs) I would imagine. I always liked the fact that actually, after he ate all of that, he then moved on to salad and felt a lot better. Yeah, exactly.
0: Very good. So have the greens.
2: Absolutely. So did you know that Eric Carle was an advertising exec? No, I didn't. And um, he got the idea for The Hungry Caterpillar whilst punching holes in a stack of paper. Good grief. Well, that's that's how the story goes. Right. <laughs> um, and he was actually introduced into the world of children's books as he was, and he was asked to illustrate... Brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? Do you remember that book? As I well? don't
0: that. No, not, uh, not I no. I don't.
2: Anyway, um, so somebody spotted he, he'd done an advert for a lobster, oh, and, right. uh, and somebody <coughs> spotted a, the drawing and so asked him to illustrate oh, it, right. which is fantastic. To super, yeah. So moving on to another um, children's story, Puffin has just going to launch a new book called Never Grow Up, mm-hmm. which is inspired by the mischief and magic of Roald Dahl. Oh, good. And it's illustrated by Quentin oh, Blake.
1: That's excellent.
2: So interestingly, obviously, Roald Dahl is no longer with us, mm. but it was written by an in-house creative team. So what do we think of that? Well, um, interesting. Yeah. Mm. So it's quite... I think Roald Dahl is such an amazing place in our the heart of children's books. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting that not until David Williams, I think, has taken over
0: yes. that crown,
2: <coughs> that that sort of like that whole portion of publishing sort of missed out. Really, mm, that's a bit. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm delighted. Never Grow is Up. It looks
0: really good. Great, great. Well, I have a little tidbit here, which is uh, which is good news. Well, not only for um, uh, uh, Bloomsbury, the publisher's um, shareholders, but also good news generally for for publishing. But uh, Bloomsbury, the publisher, is set to. Um, issue issue a special dividend as the lockdown reading boosts its earnings. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a London-based publisher and it has declared a special dividend and posted a 22% surge in annual earnings um, on Wednesday last as people have turned uh, to books during the COVID-19 lockdowns. Oh, well, that's good news. Isn't it just?
2: So I think a lot of them, I mean, Bluesbury is obviously famous for having um, published Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Yes. So I'm sure the Harry Potter Black. Back sales contribute to that quite a bit, um,
0: sure. But also, I think you, you you mentioning they they went out on a bit of shopping spree and bought a company called uh, Head of Zeus.
2: Yes. What sort of books do Head of Zeus do? Uh,
0: fiction and nonfiction, I and mean, some um, uh, some uh, some excellent nonfiction titles and um, some really interesting fiction titles. Still so fit
2: in well with very them, well. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely, very well.
2: Obviously, that's what we do- they're doing with all their money.
0: Exactly. Well, reinvesting. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> now, I spotted a lovely book that had just been published today Uh, and it's called Martha Lloyd's Household Book. And it's actually the original manuscript from Jane Austen's kitchen. Oh, gosh. So isn't that lovely yes. so that for all lovers of Jane Austen here? We can actually see the book that she was cooking from. Mm-hmm. So I understand that Martha Lloyd was a close friend of Jane Austen and they all lived together with her sister and their mother in their cottage in Chaunton in Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And this um, household book is basically a collection of recipes and medical remedies and things like that that women used to write up to help them manage their homes Mm -hmm. and so Martha Lloyd had obviously got that job and so her handwritten book is all blotched and crumbling and is is going to be published in the colour Simile simile uh, for the first time so it gives us a real sort of link with Jane Austen's home
0: life. Wonderful, yes wonderful. Well in fact um, I have a little recipe which is uh, one of Jane Austen's favourite and it's for toasted cheese. Oh lovely and it's quite simple, grate the cheese and add it to one egg and a teaspoon of mustard and a little butter uh, as the recipe advises and it's a recipe for one and it was one of um, Jane's favourite and, and she says send it up on a toast or in paper trays. Not quite sure what that meant but.
2: <laughs> well I suppose it was for the servants to have done ah, it. Ah right. Sounds really like cheese on toast but you've yes. added, added an egg.
0: Yes indeed in fact actually the other day I was reading a recipe for um, for uh, cheese on toast I normally just drop cheese on it but actually the, the little more developed is, is is to beat an egg yeah. uh, and then add the cheese and a little bit of mustard and so forth and then, then put it onto your onto your toasted bread and then pop it under the grill.
2: This is River Radio, and you're listening to Turning Pages with Heather and Julian. Thank you for listening. So coming up in the show, we'll be discussing our favourite cookery books. But let's now go to a conversation that I've had with Ellie Pilcher, whose Laugh Out Loud debut novel has just been published by Hodder Studio. So to start... Before we start in the conversation, let's listen to a short reading. So this is going to be from Chapter 5, and it's where Crystal has escaped the refuge of her friend's flat after a water leak destroys her flat and she finds out that her boyfriend is cheating on her. Whoops, hang on. Let me get the technology right here. And the support. Whilst it was gorgeous and expensive looking with its blue velvet cover and designer throw cushions, did not make the most comfortable of beds. After three nights of sleeping on it, I was pretty sure I was going to need a chiropractor. I'd spend the better part of three days cycling through the six stages of grief despair, denial, chocolate, shouting at romance movies, staring at the ceiling, and finally deleting social media. What was the point of having profiles online if I had nothing boastful to share? I didn't need obnoxious on this day reminders of the times that David and I had spent on holiday or how well do you know your partner quizzes online. Besides, what did it matter that I knew that his favourite Power Ranger was yellow or that he used to have a bearded dragon called Phil? These quizzes would only be useful when they started to ask important questions like monogamy, thoughts, Every time Paige left me in the flat, she said goodbye like she was leaving the side of my deathbed. I couldn't believe I was suddenly so fragile. Feeling as deflated as ever, I stared at the ceiling. It was popcorn textured and white, about the only thing remaining in Paige's otherwise modern flat to indicate there had been previous tenants. The popcorn bubbles looked a bit like constellations in their random spacing on the ceiling. I spotted an Orion's belt. And the Cassiopeia crown in the time I stared at it. Saturn, I said aloud, remembering what Tina had said about my Saturn return. There was no harm in looking it up. And now let's listen to that conversation that I had with Ellie, um, who's lovely and charming, and I think it's going to be a great book. Ellie, good morning. It's lovely to have you on the show. So first of all, can I ask you to introduce the book and the key characters to us, please?
3: Yes, of course. Uh, So the book is What Planet Can I Blame This On? A bit of a mouthful of a title, but I love it. It's a romantic comedy about Crystal Baker, whose life falls apart. She finds out her boyfriend's been cheating on her. She gets made redundant. The pipes burst in her flat all in the same day. And she's having a really bad time of it. And her friend says to her on the off cuff, oh, it's because of your Saturn return. And uh, supposedly in astrology, your Saturn return is when Saturn returns to the position it was in when you were born. It happens every 29 and a half years, roughly. And uh, supposedly it signifies the next portion of your life beginning, but before it can begin, it destroys your old life. And uh, Crystal takes a bit of offense at this and decides if the planets are responsible for ruining her life, then they can also fix it. And uh, she becomes religiously obsessed with following her horoscope and getting a crystal collection, having a tarot card reading and only doing what the universe tells her and it doesn't quite go to plan.
2: No, it never does, does it? <laughs> so I've never heard of a Saturn return before your book. Is it a thing?
3: It is, yes. It's. I had to do a lot of research into it myself because I'd heard about it and as a way of somebody saying, oh, it's it's what happens while you have a midlife crisis, for example. and You have a quarter-life crisis and uh, it's, I didn't realise how much information there was in astrology about this this term the saturn return and how much effect it has on your life supposedly but uh, it's a thing i think with millennials becoming quite you know astrology is becoming quite popular within that audience it might be something that we see cropping up more and more but, but yes
2: Interesting that Millenniums are really into the Zodiac. So when I was young, there was a lot of Zodiac. In the papers every day, you'd read your star signs and things. And I don't see that anymore. So are you into astrology and crystals and tarot readings?
3: I'm, I would say I'm a Gemini completely in the sense that I'm kind of half in and half out, uh, Gemini's being the twins. I kind of, I find myself gravitating towards horoscopes when I I feel maybe I need a bit of guidance or potentially I'm a bit bored, but I'm also a bit cynical and sceptical about things like that because obviously there are so many horoscopes printed and online that which one is the right one. But that being said, I have actually followed my horoscope uh, as a test for when I was writing the book and I found that even though it wasn't necessarily 100% accurate, actually having a horoscope to kind of suggest what I should be doing with the week or guiding me was actually quite comforting. So I think for millennials in particular, it's, it's a nice way of maybe taking the pressure off making decisions for ourselves sometimes. But yes, I'm kind of, like I say, half in, half out, probably don't follow it to the extent that Crystal, the character, does.
2: So did your, your perspective on astrology change? Are you now more of a believer?
3: I, yes, I would definitely say so. I mean, I didn't realise there were things such as birth charts until I started um, really digging into it. I knew the the star signs and zodiacs and, you know, being a Gemini, and I I was very proud of being a Gemini, but I didn't realise that the position that the stars were in when you were born supposedly dictates what your personality is like. And you can find this out online just by adding your date of birth and where you were born and what time and things like that. And surprisingly for every single person that's done it in my friends and family group and myself, it has been incredibly accurate and uh, finding things out about your personality and your emotional side and what you're like romantically what you're like with friendships and what you're like with money and uh, it's it's quite scary that it can be so accurate and a lot of people have said that uh, they didn't realize things about themselves and they read the birth chart and went, oh that's that's 100% me
2: <laughs> brilliant well, I also love about the book is that you've got a really great family and friend dynamic going on. So all the relationships are very comfortable and and charming and realistic. So what was your your inspiration for these? Are you have you copied your friends in these stories?
3: I mean, it started off being complete make-believe and then I think as I added more details and developed their personalities, little anecdotes and quirks from my own friends and family certainly slipped in. Uh, I mean, the character of Grandad, who was my personal favourite to write, was actually based on my own grandfather who sadly has dementia. So it was kind of my way of honouring him and sharing the book with him because obviously he's so far gone in the illness now that he can't be a part of it. But he's, the character of Grandad in the book is um, it's not the same. I mean, this granddad's certainly more tech savvy than my own grandfather. But yeah, there are definitely quirks of his in there and his mannerisms. But uh, the friends, I would say, Paige and Tina, they are based a lot on the kind of friendships I have found throughout the years. So not just on particular friends, but the whole sphere of them. And uh, yeah, definitely when I needed inspiration or a good one-liner, or just something to trigger an idea, I would go to my WhatsApp group, my uh, book club is called uh, Books Before Boys, and just say, look, I've got a character doing this. And what do you think you would do in this situation? What What would you do if you found out your boyfriend was cheating on you? And some of the lines they came up with and the things they said to me, I had to put them in the book, because they were just genuinely so funny and genuine.
2: So this is your first book. How long have you been writing it?
3: Oh, I feel like such a cliche saying I've been writing since I was a little girl, but I, I have genuinely. It's, I've realised that when I was younger, my friends and family would bring my brother and sister sweets and they would bring me notebooks because I was always writing in the corner, no matter what. And uh, I mean, I've been writing novels since I was 16. This is actually my fifth finished novel. But I mean, the first three will never see the light of day again. They were written as a teenager who was probably going through a bit of too much thanks, maybe. But, but yes, I've been writing on and off for about 10 years now. And it's been, it's been a journey. I mean, I'm only 25, but it's certainly been a journey of trying to find the right agent and the right publisher and, you know, the right voice and what genre and everything. But yeah, I'm really, really happy and pleased to be here.
2: So you also work in the publishing industry. so I do. So how different was the actual, the real experience of having a book published in comparison to the experience that you thought it would be as working in the book publishing industry yourself?
3: Oh, it was bizarre. It was very, very bizarre. I think um, because I work in marketing, which is almost like the tail end of a publication, It's, it's kind of the last thing that happens before a book is released. I'd never really experienced the early days, the editorial side of it and the rights and contracts and agent and editor conversations. So that was really exciting. I was I'm just so pleased and so grateful to be able to be witness of it and learn so much about the industry that I thought I already knew a lot about but clearly didn't and then I would say as we came into the later stages and did publicity and marketing which is more my forte within the industry I, I did become I worry a bit of a diva author I definitely had to remember to put my author hat on when I was talking to them and not my publisher hats and thankfully they, they're very patient with me and they, they're a brilliant team to work with at Hodder Studio so yes but it was a learning curve, definitely. And I find myself, my relationship with the authors that I work with uh, on a day-to-day basis at my at my job, my relationship with them has changed because I understand now what it is like not to hear back from somebody or what what things you actually need and what it's like to engage with readers one-on-one or to get a bad review or any of these things and how much it means to you to have any kind of support from a writer or a reader. So I'm really pleased. I think it's, it's helped me develop my role in publishing, unintentionally so, but it's a it's a big plus.
2: Brilliant. You'll have to do talk to the publishing industry. about what- I hope so.
3: Yeah, maybe. Here's what you need to know.
2: Yes, absolutely. So are the characters still living in your head?
3: Some of them are. Some of them are very noisy and like to share their opinions. It's definitely the friends in this case. I actually found out today that one of my readers, has um, they emailed me and said, could you write a sequel, please? Which hasn't crossed my mind before, but apparently there's there's room for one. And they certainly are still there. I think the, the three main friends, Crystal, Paige and Tina, they're definitely... There's, there's still some way to go with them. You never know what I might do with them. But it might be a short story or a, a sequel. Who knows? But they're still there.
2: So there's something there flickering away in your mind. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, you talk in your book about quarter-life crisis and you mentioned you were 25. So can I just say that the best solution to a quarter-life crisis is having your book published?
3: <laughs> yes, I, I 100% agree. <laughs> it certainly makes it a lot better. <laughs> so congratulations. That
2: is lovely. Thank you very much indeed, Ellie. Thank you. So, horoscopes and um Tarot cards and things like that. Where, where are you on that? Well,
0: um, I, I, don't, I don't really follow things like the horoscope. So, in fact, I'm quite interested um, in characteristics. So, as I'm Tory in and you sort of read the characteristics, but on tarot cards and oracle cards, one of my client publishers, Hay House, yeah. um, publishes um, a range of tarot cards and oracle cards. Uh, and what's really interesting about it, I mean, the sales are phenomenal. And this is way before um, COVID and anything else and lockdowns. But the majority of the purchases are not by people necessarily wanting to um, undertake tarot card readings yeah. they collect them for the graphics of the cards
2: wow have mm. you ever had your tarot cards? i haven't
0: yet? no i haven't
2: oh i did i did
0: once oh did you yeah
2: and i was told i was going to marry a soldier
0: oh well that went a bit wrong then didn't it
2: husband number two
0: possibly oh <laughs> ah, well there we are yes <laughs> a field marshal though <laughs> <laughs> when you trade in <laughs> husband number one,
2: but over the weekend, as this is also a cookery, yes, um, hour as well. Uh, I've got, to, I'm going to combine, um, Tarot card readings or sort mm-hmm. of the horoscopes with cookery because I had a barbecue uh, this weekend with my uh, lovely sister and brother mm-hmm. and uh, their appropriate spouses and my nephew and um, Jan and Neil were telling me that in Evesham, which is where they live, they have an Evesham asparagus thrower ah.
1: to
0: predict the
2: future.
0: Well, I, ah, yes, yes, it's this extraordinary you know lady. That. I do, and she uh, she gets a bunch of asparagus and. Throws it up in the air, doesn't she? And then as it falls down, she reads the future. And she's been pretty accurate, I believe. I can't believe you know about this. Yes, I do. I do.
2: Anyway, uh, they're they're taking a, a look at uh, her predictions for this year. Ah, so right. I'll report back Do you to must. Tell you, you must. I mean, I think she did predict that um, Prince Philip would die this yes. year. Yes. So that's, I know that was one prediction she got right, mm-hmm. but I don't know where her other ones were, so we'll have to wait have and to see. Have to wait and see, yeah. Anyway, this is River Radio, and you're listening to Turning Pages with Heather Adams and Julian Ashton. Thank you for joining us. Well, we're going to be talking about our favourite cookery books first, though. Julian's been hunting his bookshelves to reminders of a great favourite or it actually might be new to you well,
0: It could be and Hunting My Shelves is appropriate because my choice is The Hunting of the Snark by Lewis Carroll Brilliant. Uh, this was first published in uh, 1876 by Macmillan. Uh, it's available because it's out of copyright in a multitude of, of, of editions now but The Hunting of the Snark is actually a poem in eight fits or as the author put it as an agony in eight fits which tells the, st- the tale of a group of men and a beaver who are embarking on a voyage to hunt the Snark, which may or may not turn out to be the Boojum. Now, the crew is made up of ten members, all of them beginning with the letter B. Interestingly, there's a bellman who's the leader, there's Boots, who's the maker of, uh, and then there's a maker of bonnets and hoods, a barrister who will settle all the arguments among the crew, a broker who can appraise the goods and chattels of the crew, and oddly on board there's a billiard marker who apparently is greatly skilled. (laughs) There is also a banker who holds the crew's money, Uh, there's a butcher who can only kill beavers, which is a bit alarming because there's only one beaver on board, <laughs> but he makes lace and he saved the crew from disaster several times. And then there's the baker who can only bake wedding cakes and has got uh, is greatly forgetful but has great courage. Now, after crossing the sea, um, they're guided by the bellman's map of the ocean, which is in fact a blank sheet of paper. And the hunting party arrives in a strange land, and the bellman tells the crew the five signs of which a snark can be identified. The bellman warns them that some some snarks are highly dangerous Boojums, and on hearing this, the baker fades <sighs> clean away.
2: Dun, dun, dun. Uh,
0: once revived, the baker recalls that his uncle warned him that if the snark turns out to be Boojum, the hunter will softly and suddenly vanish away and never be met with again. The baker confesses that this is a possibility that terrifies him, and we can hear him tell the story now.
2: Oh, let's do that
0: the baker's tale. They roused him with muffins, they roused him with ice, they roused him with mustard and cress, they roused him with jam and judicious advice, they set him conundrums to guess. When at length he sat up and was able to speak his sad story he offered to tell, and the bellman cried a silence, not even a shriek, and excitedly tingled his bell. There was silence supreme, not a shriek, not a scream, scarcely even a howl or a groan. "'as the man they called Ho told his story of woe in an antediluvian tone. "'My father and mother were honest, though poor. "'Skip all that,' cried the bellman in haste. "'If at once becomes dark, there is no chance of a snark. "'We have hardly a minute to waste.' "'I skipped forty years,' said the baker in tears, "'and proceed without further remark, "'to the day when you took me aboard your ship "'to help you in hunting the snark.' A dear uncle of mine, after whom I was named, remarked when I bade him farewell. Oh, skip your dear uncle, the bellman exclaimed, as he angrily tingled his bell. He remarked to me then, said the mildest of men, if your snark be a snark, that is right. Fetch it home by all means, you may serve it with greens, and it's handy for striking a light. You may seek it with thimbles, and seek it with care, you may hunt it with forks and hope. You may threaten its life with a railway share. You may charm it with smiles and soap. That's exactly the method the bellman bold in hasty parenthesis cried. "That's exactly the way I have always been told that the capture of Snark should be tried. But oh beamish nephew, beware of the day if your snark be a bojum for then you will softly and suddenly vanish away and never be met with again. "'It is this, it is this, that oppresses my soul, "'and when I think of my uncle's last words, "'and my heart is like nothing so much as a bowl "'brimming over with quivering curds. "'It is this, it is this, we've had that before,' "'the bellman indignantly said. "'And the baker replied, let me say it once more, "'it is this, it is this, that I dread. "'I engage with the snark every night after dark "'in a dreamy, delirious fight.' i serve it with greens in those shadowy scenes and i use it for striking a light but if ever i meet with a boojum that day in a moment of this i am sure i shall softly and suddenly vanish away and the notion i cannot endure well, during the course of the voyage, the butcher and the beaver, previously mutually wary, become fast friends after they hear the cry of the jubjub bird. And the butcher ends up giving the beaver a lesson in maths and zoology. The barrister, meanwhile, sleeps and dreams of witnessing a court trial with a pig accused of deserting its sty with a snark as its defence lawyer. During the hunt, the banker is attacked by a bander snatch and loses his sanity after trying to bribe the creature. And then the baker rushes ahead of the party and calls out that he's found a snark. But when the others arrive, he has mysteriously disappeared. Oh, it was a boojum. It was indeed.
2: So I understand, I don't know if you agree with this, that Lewis Carroll meant the snark. Meaning to mean happiness.
0: Ah, or is that. it the
2: boojum to mean happiness? Might have been the boom. Uh, I'm not
0: sure. Maybe the boojum was the happiness? I don't know.
2: Anyway, he famously didn't want to say it and people kept pestering him because of course it's a made up word. Right. And everyone said, Well, what did it mean? What did right. it mean? And in the end he said, Oh, well, it means the search for happiness. <laughs> right. Anyway,
0: in exasperation, does the bellman have tinkled his bell. He would have
2: done absolutely, <laughs> but it's a brilliant poem, it, isn't
0: it? It is. It's super. It really is. I think
2: it's lost some <laughs> favour out uh, at the moment. It's it, a bit old-fashioned. It is old-fashioned. It? Yeah. I remember
0: my father reading to us as his children. It was lovely, I and mean, it really was. It was great, just great.
2: Yeah, yeah. and the jug jug bird is named after the nightingale sound, the sound that the nightingale, oh, right. which is actually jug jug. But Juk-juk. we don't know. I can't remember ever hearing a nightingale. No,
0: I don't. Know. No, nor do I. No, no.
2: anyway. Right, well, we've been promising to talk about cookery books, and this is a theme that is going to be one of our favourites. But before we start talking, Julie and I, about our favourite cookery books, I've asked uh, Chantel from the Little Bookshop in Cookham to give her her thoughts on, uh, on cookery books. Now, we're talking about cookery books, and I wanted to ask you a question. Do you think people still buy cookery books?
4: Oh, yes. Cookery books sell in their millions all all around the world. People are definitely still buying them. You can look at recipes up online, but there is a huge demand for cookery books. So as Jamie Oliver will be able to tell you, he sells millions of them every year. You're absolutely right, isn't it? It's amazing because I would have thought with how easy it
2: is to pick up a recipe online that cookery books might have sort of died a death, but that doesn't seem to be the case. This seems to be cookery books being launched every
4: i don't know every day every week they certainly are every day i would say you're probably right so we've got tons of new ones out and so we've got like for instance the green barbecue by rakmini Aya. i don't know if you've heard of her before but she does the one tin ones so there's the green barbecue She just got brought oh, that oh, out. I,
2: I know the one tin uh books yeah. i've got to say i bought one of those what <laughs>
4: Saved my neck last year so many times. I have a vegetarian, a pescatarian, and a vegan in my house when my stepdaughter visits from um, university. So uh, this is the beauty of having a cookery book as opposed to looking something up online. I would just text the girls and say, Find something that you want from the 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 book and send me a photograph of the ingredients and on my way home I would stop off and buy anything we needed and then we would just chuck it all into one pan and we'd all eat vegan that night and it was great. Done in half an hour and it was easy. Yeah. Um, So so she's just got
2: uh, a new barbecue book out, has she?
4: Yes. And this is brilliant because what do you do if you have a vegetarian or a vegan for a barbecue? Yeah. You look it up in the me. I new cookbook and it's got fantastic photographs, all healthy, inspiring and yummy looking. Excellent. and Well, very easy to follow. So I definitely recommend that one for someone.
2: Yeah, I've got to say, and I think one of the nice things about a cookery book, apart from an online one, is that it inspires you. Whilst with an online thing, you've got to sort of know what you're going to look for. Whilst the cookery book allows you to find something.
4: Yes, and the online ingredients off, uh, recipes often start with someone telling you their life story about how they grew up on a farm in the Midwest. I mean, you, you have to like scroll for pa- pages and pages of information before you get to the ingredient yes, list. Yes, that saves us from all of that. Um, <laughs> yes. another, another one that's just come out is Tom Kerridge's Outdoor cooking. Oh, absolutely. We've got to mention our local author, Tom Kerridge, and okay. superstar. he's fantastic as well this book is brilliant and it's not just about things you know it's not just about barbecue things it's all kinds of outdoor cooking and something in here for everyone and we've got some signed copies available oh fantastic a good good shout for father's day i think
2: oh yes well done that's a really good idea
4: so that's good suggestion thank you you're very welcome another one which has been hugely popular is the one pot pan planet there's been lots of online activity and she's is just great. It's all about the greener way to cook for your family and how to save the planet. It's
2: definitely a theme here, isn't there? So we're talking green. We're talking easy as well, aren't we?
4: Yes, yes. Oh yes. I mean if you've been out at work all day, the last thing you want to do is spend three hours in the kitchen slaving sleeping over a hot stove. But we've got loads of other things as well. So if you're a fan of Raymond as I am uh, Raymond Blanc has a new book out called Simply Raymond. And it is it is home cooking. It's not the really, really tricky stuff that he does in the restaurant. It's it's stuff that you can replicate at home. And he's just wonderful as well. Um, Fantastic. He, I
2: uh, was in his uh, restaurant in Banksville and he came round to say hello to everybody at the tables. He's
4: such an approachable guy, isn't he? He's lovely. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Very charming. Cool. And I think this one is just beautiful. Ripe figs. I love the book. Oh, the cover is beautiful. By Yasmin Khan, isn't it gorgeous? It's recipes and stories from the Eastern Mediterranean. And then, because we're all missing our trip to France this year, this one is called French Countryside Cooking by Daniel Galmiche, and it has four words by Raymond Blanc and Heston Blumenthal. Oh, yes. So definitely the thumbs up. Absolutely. Uh, Nice, lovely French, very easy-to-follow recipes. I would recommend that for anyone there who's missing our holiday. And on a similar theme, cheese, wine and bread. <laughs> oh, that's, that's more my style of cooking. <laughs> this is by Katie Quinn and it's discovering the magic of fermentation in England, Italy and France. So, oh, great. Yeah, it's really good. So, so this is all about what to eat with specific wines, is it? Uh, it's, yes, it's got all of that. It's like, it's like a little road trip on the inside. Lots of lovely photographs it's about how it's made oh right yes and lovely i love it it's a nice gift i would say nice present and i've got to say all of those books they look gorgeous don't they i mean they're really well presented
2: and beautifully published (laughs) so i think that's another reason why you buy books rather than go online is they look good on your shelf
4: yes they're tempting aren't they uh yes and during lockdown when everyone's been interviewed in front of the bookshelves you know everyone's I, I don't know about anyone else but I'm always trying to figure out what books they've got behind them there was a famous one where Boris Johnson was in the library and they put some rather amusing titles behind him if you looked closely like I was then you know I think it, everyone's had a bookshelf I mean, hashtag has been I mean, a, a thing on Instagram they m- may have you know rainbowed them so they put them all in, in the you know, the lovely colours. Personally, I can't do that. It has to be in alphabetical order or nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But you can do themes, so you can do cookery this
2: time. So (laughs) if we were looking at you now, you'd have your cookery books all around you. I do. That's what I do. (laughs) <laughs> that is perfect. Well, that's plenty of ideas. So I was looking on your uh, website and I noticed that you've actually got Jennifer Saint coming along to talk at the bookshop. And she was on the programme a couple of weeks ago. And I've got to say, Ariadne is such a good book.
4: So tell me about your session with her. We have an online event to launch at Ariadne, uh, which is a beautiful book. As soon as I saw the cover, I said, oh, I have got to of that. For anyone who likes Pat Barker, Madeline Miller, Natalie Haynes, this this is the next book for you. It's her debut. Um, it's beautiful cover. And it's Greek retellings from a uh, women's point of view. If anyone likes Greek mythology, then pick it up. It's completely accessible. It's enchanting. You just fall into the story. When's the event? 1st of July, half past seven. It's online and it's free. So you can just go to our website, click on online events, and just click on... The button to, to book. We've got signed copies available, so you can buy a signed copy while you're there, or you can just attend the event for free. Great. great. So that's the little
2: Info. That is excellent. Chantel, thank you very much indeed. Plenty of things to think about there. So that was a great selection of cookery books from uh, from Chantel there.
0: Absolutely, And I, yes. I
2: think it's really interesting about why we buy cookery books mm-hmm. when there's so much on the internet available. But there's something about a cookery book that you just want
0: to purchase. Well, yes, because I, I think also because they're, I won't say aspirational, they're inspirational. And you can just go through things and you say, yeah. oh, I'd like to do that. Or it gives you ideas. That's the point. It gives yeah. you ideas what you can do next. Try something a little bit different. And that's the point of them, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, right, we're talking about cookery books and I think you've got the first one you're going to talk about which is the uh, the Cookery Year.
0: Oh, right, yes, indeed. Um, it is indeed the Cookery Year, and uh, it's one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, it was first published in 1973 by Reader's Digest. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, and it's been part of my life um, since I was 14 years old uh, when my, my mother bought a copy. So uh, your
2: mum, that's your mum's. My cook- mum's,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I bought a copy for myself in later life. So
2: uh, we used to use the, uh, the Good Housekeeping cookery uh, book. Every yeah, time it got yeah, too which, dirty, yeah.
0: I'd have to buy another, another copy. Yeah, yeah. Which is super. I, I mean, and that's also a good book. But it became a main source of, um, of inspiration in, in, our, uh, in our family, even though my mother's uh, cooking repertoire was extensive even before she got the book yeah I mean it's a, it's a hefty tome it's in landscape format it running to four hundred and thirty nine pages, including the index and as the title suggests, the design of the book is uh, is such that each month of the year has its own seasonal recipes, usually offering up to two soup recipes. Two soups. Two soups. Uh, Yep. Uh, Four uh, first courses, five fish recipes, up to nine meat recipes, six poultry and game recipes, rice and pasta dishes, along with several vegetable dishes, puddings, and then finally, savouries and snacks, which is quite unusual. So
2: I think that's great doing it around the year, because I think sometimes we lose the understanding of what's in season, don't we? Exactly,
0: which is the next point. Oh, I apologise. No, not at all. No, it's a very good thing, because each month has a list of what fruit, Fish, vegetables are in season for that month, and and I think it's even um, more important nowadays um, than maybe back in the nineteen seventies where people did eat seasonally because yes. you know that's what that's Which what we happened. should be
2: doing that now exactly.
0: And they didn't expect strawberries on Christmas Day or asparagus flown in from Peru all year round. Uh, the best strawberries, as we know, Heather, are British strawberries they are. with the season beginning in July, whereas in June it's the raspberry season, and then. With a link to your lady in in Evesham, the British asparagus season, uh, for example, starts in April. And, as everyone knows, some of the best asparagus beds are in Worcestershire. And Evesham in particular, very, very famous for their asparagus. I know, that's what my sister needs to bring with her every time. Well, she should, because it'd be perfect, because it'd be fresh cut then. Yeah. So... All of you out there who are really worried or concerned about climate and carbon emissions, stop buying fruit and vegetables that have been flown halfway around the world and buy locally and seasonally and also the Cookery Yearbook will help you. Yeah. And also the nice thing about the cookery year and the monthly uh, um, selection, they also have suggested menus, uh, which is really great. So you can you can also uh, plan menus. Um, and it's also got a huge amount of information. Um, the front end of pages, for example, has conversion tables um, from imperial to metrics. So that covers uh, oven temperatures, um, liquid weights and so forth. So there's an awful lot of information there uh and at the back of the book there's what i call the cooking school section and there's a considerable section of it which covers every basic cooking method you can imagine so from making soup stock sauces mayonnaise, how to prepare prepare fish including de- scaling them filleting them and etc how to prepare shellfish um such as scallops and oysters how to prepare vegetables Baking, uh, baking dishes, See, um, you're, eggs.
2: You're quite uh, a cook, aren't you?
0: Well, I, I can boil water.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's being very modest, folks. You're very good. Well, so, have you used the sort of at like the back of the cookery book? Yes, is that where you got yeah.
0: your skills. Yeah, from? I do. And the thing is, what I like it. What for me, um, it, it, it's 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 a it's a bit like a Mary Poppins bag. I mean, you can delve in, and, and it, it's a cookery book that I've um, bestowed great. Um, Mystical things because it's almost literally, Heather. I, it, it's difficult to explain, but you can you can almost say, well, now I'd like to make this, and you can go to the cookery year, and the recipe will be there, yes. or there'll be something in there. Yes. It just really is amazing. And there's one section which which is really good as well, um, linking to the seasonal side of it, is they have a, a buying for quality section, um, which gives a description of the produce, what it's composed of. So, for example, um, the legal minimum that should be in. Sausage, um, what the percentage is, what it may taste like. So when it comes to cheese, is it mild cheese? Uh, Whether it's made from sheep's milk or cow's milk or what have you. And all with beautifully hand-drawn illustrations. Now... Other, and, and I, as a boy, I used to pore over this and I, and I could learn to identify a teal. I could identify continental cheeses. It really is so super. Brilliant. But, and what I want to say as well is the contributors of the cookery year. Now, because it's just called the cookery year, full stop. You yeah. don't know anything. But they had some of the leading cookery writers of, and chefs of the day, including, and there'll be many out there who know her, Zena Skinner. Jane Grigson, who's oh, the yes. mother of Sophie Grigson, who's yes. also an accomplished cookery writer herself, and Ken Lowe, uh, famed for his Memories of China restaurant in London. He oh, was brilliant. one of the contributors wow. for the Chinese recipes because there's everything in there. It's not just British cooking, it's French cooking, there's there's, there's um, Asian cooking, Chinese cooking, it's everything. Um, it was reprinted um, with amendments in, in 1982. Um, however, there was a new edition um, that came out called The New Cookery Year, but was published in 1996. And whilst I would urge anyone listening to get hold of a copy, I think you may only be able to get it on the, on the second-hand market.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, I've, I've done a, a, a bit of checking and it seems to be only on the second. But if you can get one, it's worthwhile. However, now this was very interesting when I did my research. Go on. The 19, there was a 1982 edition that was up for sale for Two hundred and fifty-three pounds. Wow, well, there's your pension. Exactly. <laughs> However, I will tell you there are copies as low as eleven pounds, so you can go out <laughs> there and buy them. But you really must. I can't can't recommend this book highly enough. It's super.
2: Well, I'm going to recommend, really, really recommend another cookery book, and it's Nigel Slater. I just think he is the most. F- Fabulous writer about
0: he food. Is. He is.
2: And one of the things is, is recipes make you feel as though you could do them. That's yeah. what I really like about and that's it. That's
0: the important thing about a cookery writer. Yeah. And that really is important.
2: Anyway, okay. we've got a little bit of a reading from one of his uh, Kitchen Diaries uh, books.
0: Nigel Slater, The Kitchen Diaries 2. June 5th, A Cake for Coffee. I have always been rather taken with the middle European ritual of stopping for mid-morning coffee and cakes. The Apfelstrudel at the Café Einstein in Berlin, the cheesecake at Gebaud in Budapest, and the chocolate cake at the glittering jewel that is Demel in Vienna are all places of pilgrimage for me. Each location, be it a Grand Café or a local conditorei, has its speciality. I once found a delectable moist apricot slice at a tiny Cushions and Curtains Café in a side street in Stockholm. The Streusel cakes, with their pebble-textured crusts, particularly interest me. The pleasure is not solely in their sugar-encrusted top, but in the contrast between that and the layer of fruit and sponge cake underneath. Often served in square slices, they sit nicely with a cup of dark, slightly bitter coffee around 10.30 in the morning, and are useful for dessert too, with chilled whipped cream. June 27th, summer. I am happiest in winter, worshipping its festivals and folklore, adoring its crisp, clean air and gentle grey skies. Not for me the coarse harshness of summer's bright colours as seen in piercingly ugly light. The only part of summer I truly enjoy is shade and shadow and the notion of the mythical meadow with its buttercups, babbling brook and overhanging branches. But the food is another thing and even I can melt at the thought of salmon, a little dill and the cool scent of sliced cucumber. Today I do a riff on the traditional, much-loved marriage of salmon and cucumber, making crisp pink patties and serving them with the cucumber and yoghurt sauce as cool as that mythical babbling brook. July 3rd, finger finger-lickin' chicken. Friends are coming tomorrow who I know appreciate hot and spicy food. More to the point, they tend to get wound up by anything too self-consciously foody. Mention a farmer's market, an artisan-made cheese or a heritage tomato, and they will raise their eyes to the ceiling. Fine. I'll give them chicken thighs roasted till the skin has crisped with a hot, deeply savoury sauce to spoon over. That should keep us all happy.
2: Yes, the nice thing about Nigel is, Nigel, you see, we're first name terms, I've yep. read so many of his cookery <laughs> books, is you feel as though he's talking to you directly. Yes. And it's his musings, and he does it seasonally, of course, mm-hmm. because it's, yes, in this instance, his, his, his um, diaries. Mm-hmm. And he just talks about what he, he opens the fridge and goes, oh, this is what I've got, yep. what can I do with this? Or he goes off shopping and he comes home with some asparagus and some duck and whatever, and he goes, right, well, this is what I'm going to make today. Anyway, so it just makes it all so easy mm. and uh, of course we've talked about his biography Yes, before, Toast, toast. Yep. and um, you just look at his biography of activity and he's got a huge section of best selling books, he's presenter on BBC One, a number mm. of programmes yes. on BBC One, he writes a food column for The Observer he's obviously got his biography Toast which is now yep. also a play he's won book awards, he's Lots of food writers' awards. Just amazing. Mm. And it's just about loving to eat and enjoy yes, it. Yes,
0: and that's the point. And yes. it's not pretentious yeah. no, at no, all. No, it's not.
2: No, and he's talking about thickly cut salmon yes. and generously spread cream cheese yeah. and a golden chewy bagel and it just makes your and mouth the, water. So, and,
0: and his classic is just a simple roast chicken and you start slobbering at the thought of it. You know, it's just super.
2: Yeah, I know. So we're reading there from um, his kitchen titles, but he's got a new book out. Oh, uh, right. A cook's book, The Essential Nigel Slater. It's published by Fourth Estate and it's going to be published in October, which is just in time for Christmas presents.
0: Excellent, excellent
2: now I know that your next book is one of my favorites too
0: it is indeed yes yes it is and it's it's the uh Elodia Reganti's Italian immigrant cooking uh, which was published originally by Stuart Taborian Chang in the US in 1996 and was and it is, has been reissued by a company called JG Press I don't know who they are but in two, uh 2008 and again one of my favorites and I know as you said it's yours because I think I introduced you to the book you did indeed uh, yes you
2: might have bought me a yeah, I think
0: I did. Yes, because it, it really is excellent. And Elodia was born in 1916 in Little Italy in Manhattan in New York. And her parents were the ones that emigrated to the US from Apulia or as people call it now, Puglia, in, in the um, south of Italy. Yeah. And her mother brought the recipes from, as Elodia always referred to it, from the old country. And I must admit, I have a weakness for Italian cooking, um, often making pasta dishes myself twice a week at least. And what I like about Elodie's book is that it offers what I call a grand buffet, if you will, of good, honest and robust dishes from south of Italy. Uh, and as you can imagine, the book provides it all from antipasti uh, to uh, ministre e zuppe, that's soups and stews, <laughs> pasta e riso, pasta and rice, um, main courses, fish courses, um, um, carne e polami, meats and poultry.
2: You don't have to cook in an Italian accent, though, do you? No, you don't, no. Unless, of course, you want to. Uh, e- exactly,
0: it makes it go a better. <laughs> um, sorry to, uh, that's a very poor accent. And, and, and eggs, dishes, everything you've got vegetables and the thing is she's got vegetable dishes for main course which is wonderful for vegetarians as well as vegetable dishes as the accompanying dishes yeah, yeah. so there's a whole panoply of it I mean the recipes from mouth-watering batter-fried fennel to roasted peppers, mozzarella cheese puffs and even Elodia makes polenta look delicious which is a, oh, well, an, there's an amazing a challenge. Thing that absolutely absolutely um, and uh, and her pasta dishes are quite simple. Um, you can do spaghetti, aglio e olio, which is the garlic and, and olive oil, which is one of the most simplest things to do. It's absolutely dishes delicious. And also one which is lovely, which is with peas, just, just spaghetti with peas. Yes. All these lovely recipes. She also does a ricotta stuffed pasta if you want a little bit more um, effort into it. And she does wonderful sauces. There's one which I haven't tried but sounds nice, which is sausage and carrot sauce, which mm. is really nice. Fish, of course, is well represented. Um, um, tempting dishes there's one um, prawns wrapped in pancetta um, then the fried dishes you know uh, battered fried like calamari meat and poultry covers everything you want to know beef to veal to lamb to pork duck sausages and all the the ragu's, the sauces you can imagine so
2: my favorite recipe is the Marinara and Marinara tomato sauce the right yes with the port and yeah. so you just basically get all the ingredients and it's on the stove for about three yeah. hours really uh, but it is delicious.
0: Yeah. Well that's interesting that you mentioned that that's your favourite because mine because sometimes when you look at the recipes yeah. just got, because the list of the ingredients is quite long you think yes, it's yeah. daunting but, but it's, it's well not worth and it's well worth it, it. and my favourite I mean, I'm really in, in, interested with your favourite And mine is the uh, what is called the uh, Apollo Al Apulia which is the chicken um, Apulia to you and me Yeah. Uh, though she makes it from a whole chicken i tend to use mine uh, chicken thighs um and you I, you can use some skinned or bone but if you've got them with bones in that's even better now i was going to give the recipe here but it's going to be a bit long but what i will say is that you can find it because i know you know this heather because we hatched this in um, uh, in your house a, a few years ago is i have my own cookery b- uh, blog you
2: do indeed I do.
0: and so the chicken apulia is on my blog so you so if you can't track down a book you're most welcome to uh, go on to my log which is www.cookingwithjewels.com so that's j-u-l-e-s and that's quite important because there's one with uh, without the s and you'll you'll go elsewhere um i'm not that um (laughs) prolific a blogger but i think there's some nice recipes in there of which certainly chicken apulia is one and i can't recommend this book and my blog, highly enough. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> You're obviously being very modest there. <laughs> but I've got to say, I totally agree with you. I think that book is charming. And the recipes do look a little bit daunting. They do. But actually, they're not. Yeah, they've just got not. lots of ingredients and you yeah. just do
0: them. Exactly. But but there is one which I'm tempted to make, which is what Elodie calls her Brooklyn meat gravy. And she said, we don't know why it calls a gravy. But when you look at it, she's done, not only has she got sort of tons of uh, sausages, she's got um, um, uh, breast. I think it is, which is actually roasted veal flank and something else before you put it. This must be a goodness grief! I mean, I don't know, but I've been tempted. I've got to make it one day before I croak. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic.
2: So that's obviously cooking to excess, probably. Possibly. Now I'm going to talk about an amazing best-selling book Mm -hmm. um, called The Pinch of Nom. Uh,
0: yes, I know it.
2: So the other day I was looking at the Sunday Times bestseller Mm -hmm. list, so they got nom fiction they've got fiction and then that week they've just got one for the best-selling manuals, mm-hmm. and the book of none actually had four books in the top five wow in I've, the top five in the top five which Heavens. and i thought i we can't do a cookery book a p- cookery program without mentioning the book exactly the pinch of non. yeah so it started back in 2016 there's two 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 people, a chef and a restauranteur from the Wirral.
0: That's right, and yes. And
2: basically, they went to, I think it was Slimming World. It was. And um, they had um, obviously listened to some suggestions for um, for recipes and then started to write their own. And then they found out that people in their uh, club were talking about the pinch of nom. And the website. Oh, right, and, yeah. they, and of course they didn't know who'd been writing about it. But of course they realised, um, Kate Allison and Kay, and Kay Featherstone obviously realised that this was something that caught on. And so they decided to turn it from a food blog into a cookbook. So that's your ambition, Julian.
0: By exactly. The way. And I have to say, I, mean, I bought um, uh, their quick and easy 100 delicious recipes, um, slimming recipes. And one really, su- really gorgeous recipe, very low calories, is a creamy Tuscan chicken, which you can find on my blog. So that yep. sounds really rich oh they're uh, really uh, honestly and the recipes they've got they're really delicious and i bought it earlier um in last year because i thought i wanted to just get i want some nice recipes that are filling but you know low in calorie content and they're great and when you look at t- there's things with cheese in them but they, but they guide you through using low low fat versions and they really are delicious
2: yeah i, I mean their first book which was published in 2019 yeah sold 210,000 copies in three days. Gosh. Now, to put that in perspective, the previous fastest-selling debut cookbook, which was Deliciously Ella, Mm. had sold 32,000. Now, 32,000 is a massive figure. It is. So the comparison between that and 210,000 is incredible. It, It is. So that book's now... I think it sold five hundred thousand in five weeks, and now well over a million copies. Mm, mm. Um, but as you quite rightly said, it's not that it's a slimming book; it's that it's just really yep. quick, tasty, easy recipes.
0: And they are filling, and the and you know if you are eating them, whether you want to diet or not or lose weight, they are low calorie. Yeah, and that's the point.
2: And I think it's quite. Community-driven, so it's so a lot of it is from the blog. So basically, they ask for suggestions on their webpage, mm-hmm. and people write in and say, "You know, I adore bacon, but what yep. easy, low-calorie recipes can you suggest?" And then they'll go off. So their books are lots of sort of thank you, Debbie, you know, for yeah, recommending right. this, and they've got a new book out um, oh, great. coming out in December of this year. Again, a Christmas uh, purchase, yeah. and it's called "The Pinch of Numb Comfort <laughs> Food." Very nice. A 100 slimming satisfying meals excellent i think the ideas will keep on coming from those guys i think they will so you are listening to river radio the voice of the thames valley and don't forget we'd love to hear from you so if you have any favorite authors you want to tell us about any themes that you might want us to talk about great book recommendations you run a local book club or are a local author we'd love to hear from you and you can contact me on heather at river.radio with any of your book news and we'd be delighted to include some of your thoughts and ideas in future shows Excellent. So just before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention that uh, we talked the other week that the home of Agatha Christie was coming up for sale. That's right. Just outside Wallingford. Well, there's a twist in the tale. Oh. So newspaper reports show that residents of Wallingford are actually organising a crowdfunding appeal to raise the asking price for the home with the idea of turning it into a tourist attraction. Oh, how
0: good. I That's know, what a great. lovely That's idea. Really good, yes. So the
2: thinking is going to be museums, Mystery Trail, live performances, Mm -hmm. bed and breakfast even. Oh, gosh. So she wrote Death on the Nile and The Body in the Library, amongst others. At the house. At the house. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Now, I know already um, her home, holiday home in Dartmouth is already owned by the National
0: Trust. (laughs) That's right, it is. Yes, yes. But I think
2: this sounds as though it's a lot more hands-on
0: lovely so that sounds great um good luck and fingers crossed that they achieve it
2: yeah absolutely so it's just time for us to say thank you so thank you julian my pleasure uh thanks to author ellie pilcher for chatting to us about her latest book what planet can i blame this on Mm -hmm. and published by hodder studio it's available now and thoroughly recommended thanks to chantelle from the little bookshop in cookham for her cookery suggestions and so the additional books we've been recommending today are the Martha Lloyd's Household Book, published by Bodleian Library Publishing.
0: The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. Hunting of the Snark by Lewis Carroll. A Cook's Book, The Essential Nigel Slater.
2: Uh, the Pinch of Nom, A Hundred Slimming Homestyle Recipes.
0: The Cookery Year by Reader's Digest.
2: The Italian Immigrant Cookery.
0: Green Barbecue Book for Ruk- Rukmini Aya. Tom Kerridge, Outdoor Cooking. Simply Raymond, Recipes from Home, Raymond Blanc.
2: And uh, Ripe Figs, Recipes and Stories from the Eastern Mediterranean. Mm. Um, So, next week we'll be chatting with author Jonathan Crane about his book, We Need to Talk. And I look forward to you joining me next Wednesday between 11 and 12 on River Radio. And do keep listening as next up is SJ.
1: They stop. On-